Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for downloading the Intelligence Squared podcast. For our listeners in London, we have coming up our Battle of the Spies, Ian Fleming versus John le Carre. There's going to be a starry cast of actors bringing the spies to life on stage, including Simon Callow and Matthew Lewis. Anthony Horowitz is going to be advocating for Fleming. And David Farr, the screenwriter of The Night Manager, will be advocating for John le Carre. That's taking place on the 29th of November, and you can buy tickets for that at our website, intelligencesquared.com. Now, here's this week's episode. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, I'm Zainab Badawi. Welcome to the Emanuel Centre in the heart of London for this Intelligence Squared debate when we will be discussing a very difficult issue that indeed does go to the very heart of the Brexit debate engulfing the UK. Our motion is no backsliding on Brexit. Britain should prioritise controlling its borders over staying in the European single market. Now, you know, after that historic referendum result in June, British politicians have been grappling with what is arguably the most complex political challenge of our lifetimes yet. There is little consensus on what Brexit should actually mean. So there are the so-called hard Brexiteers who argue that controlling our borders should take priority even at the expense of being a member of the single market. And then there are those who urge a more of a soft Brexit, that is that there should be some kind of compromise on the free movement of people from within the EU so that Britain can still enjoy the benefits of the uh, single market. And then there are voices, powerful ones from within the EU, who warn British politicians that they won't be able to dictate the terms of Brexit in any case. And we have an excellent panel representing all those views for you. Speaking first for the motion. Yes, please, Douglas Carswell, do go. No backsliding on Brexit. Douglas Carswell. Now, Douglas, you resigned as a Conservative MP in 2014, and then you stood immediately successfully for UKIP, the UK Independence Party. And you said that one of the main reasons why you entered politics was so that Britain could leave the EU. So please do give us your um, opening statement on the motion. Thank you. Good evening. (laughs) Brexit means leaving the single market. We were always very clear about that in the referendum. In fact, the other side in the referendum, David Cameron, Nick Clegg, the Remain campaign frequently criticised us for arguing 
that voting to leave was a vote to leave the single market. It's what people voted for, and I think it would be profoundly wrong to pretend otherwise. Now, let me, let me just say why leaving the European Union must mean leaving the single market. If you leave the European Union, leaving means that no EU court or legislature has jurisdiction over this country. But if we were to remain in the single market, we would be bound by a whole range of public policy making by officials within the institutions of the EU uh, rather than those at home. It would preclude the possibility of us being able to enter into those trade deals and uh, take back control of our trade policy, which was one of the fundamental reasons why we argued to leave the European Union. But leaving the single market does not mean not having access to the single market, and this is an absolutely fundamental point to make. If a UK firm sells to the single market, of course they're going to have to comply with single market rules. Currently, 8% of UK businesses sell to the single market, and that will have to continue. But the other 92% will not have to conform with rules made uh, uh, for, for, for those um, selling to the single market. Now, as so often over the past five months, when we've had these debates and we've had these discussions, in effect, we've rerun the referendum debates. I, I think we instead need to talk about how we leave. Now, the title of this debate this evening invites us to see a post-Brexit settlement in terms of immigration or trade. Now, I happen to think that's a false choice. Of course we need to be able to control our borders. But as a founder member of Vote Leave, as UKIP's only MP, 100% of the UKIP parliamentary party, <laughs> um, as someone who's campaigned to leave the European Union for 20 years, I can tell you... We are not looking to close our borders. I personally would like to see an arrangement that means we have what you might call the free movement of workers, not the free movement of people. Now, the Maastricht Treaty conferred on every person in the European Union the idea of EU citizenship. That will go. But ponder the implications of free movement of workers rather than free movement of people, and many of the arguments on the other side begin to melt away. We're not going to have the idea of free movement of workers as part of a deal, but because it is in our interest as a country to have the brightest and the best from around the world to come here. It's not necessary as part of some access agreement. It's good that we have migrants coming here and contributing, and that needs to be spelt out. I was concerned after the change of government that perhaps some of the recent converts to the Remain campaign would come in as ministers, and perhaps misunderstanding what it was all about, Amber Rudd nearly did that when she came up with that ridiculous idea about registering foreign workers. I, I, I feared that perhaps the Remain uh, converts uh, might come up with a deal which was restrictive on immigration, but didn't give us the trade freedom and the freedom to negotiate our trade policies. And that, that would be wrong. The key to leaving the European Union, the prize that comes from leaving the European Union, is to conduct our own free trade agreements. And that means leaving the single market. Now, immediately after it happened, immediately after the referendum, many people said, it can't possibly work. You're not going to get a deal. Well, the rest of the European Union has a massive trade surplus with this country, worth some 70 billion a year. It's not going to be in their interest to restrict cross-channel trade from which they today are the principal beneficiaries. There are no restrictions on that trade today. I can't see them putting those restrictions in place. 
We can leave the European Union, continue to have free trade with the European Union, and trade much more freely with the rest of the world. Now, there's a tendency sometimes to see Eurosceptics as nostalgic. The same pundits who covered the recent American elections often suggest that we Eurosceptics are backward-looking, old-fashioned, retro. Well, if we were so backward-looking and retro, how come we're not fading away, but we're now the majority view in this country? Maybe it's the European Union that is a product of 1950s ways of thinking. They imply that somehow those of us who want to leave the European Union are anti-Europe or anti-European. We're not. We're anti the idea of the European Union, a bureaucratic construct. They claim that we're against internationalism and cooperation. Absolutely not. Before I was elected to the House of Commons, I spent most of my adult life working in different European countries. European culture and scientific achievement, I believe, are the pinnacle of human civilization. The enlightenment that emerged in the 18th century Europe is the hallmark of human achievement. I just happen to know that you don't need to hand over your public policy to unelected officials in Brussels to be a good European. The referendum result was close. No side can claim to have a blank check. We need a new consensus. I've been trying to do that, but it is very hard to build that consensus if there are people who are trying to undermine the result. We need to accept that we're leaving the European Union and we need to recognise that if we do that, we can still be good friends and neighbours who cooperate with the European Union. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Douglas Carlton. Of course, you mentioned Amber Rudd there, who, of course, is the Home Secretary. Thank you. Next arguing against the motion is Anna Soubry. Now, Anna, um, Conservative MP, you were a very vociferous campaigner for Britain to remain a member of the EU in the run-up to the June referendum. And uh, you recently co-founded the Open Britain campaign calling for the UK to keep its membership of the single market. And until this summer, you were the business minister. So please do argue against the motion. Well, thank you very much indeed. And ladies and gentlemen here in the hall, you'll forgive me that... I'd like to just address in many ways the many tens of millions of people across the world who will hear much of this debate uh, and make it very clear to them that notwithstanding perhaps some of the rhetoric that they have heard through the great organisation that is the BBC or in their own local newspapers, this country is very much still an open country that welcomes people, whatever the colour of their skin, whatever their face their faith or their race. We are an open-looking country and we welcome people to our shores and we always have done and we have a proud history of welcoming refugees and indeed migrant workers when they come to our land. So if you're involved in a business that's based overseas, this is a great place still to do business. If you're somebody who's looking to come to this country as a great place to visit as a tourist, please do come here, especially given the state of our sterling. Uh, on that respect, we need all the help that we can get. And if you're a student, we have some of the finest universities in the world. And again, notwithstanding the rhetoric, you are more than welcome to come here. And yes, you are welcome to come to our country and to work. 
I think it's really important in all that is said and done now, wherever you might be in the world, that politicians and the media and commentators tread very carefully when it comes to the tone and the language that we use. I'm increasingly concerned that we are living in a world where people think it's acceptable to use rather unpleasant and offensive cheap sound bites. These are serious times that we live in. These are serious issues. And I think it's important we use the right tone and we tread carefully and we, we respect the arguments that are advanced wherever they may come from. Because I certainly believe that the one thing that we have in common is a desire to make sure that we live in a more tolerant world. And I fear greatly that we've backed away from that. So let's now turn to the motion that's in front of you. May I respectfully suggest that you completely ignore the first line of it. There'll be no backsliding on Brexit. And I say that, as you know, as somebody who is a fierce, fierce believer in our remaining within the European Union. If there was a vote in the House of Commons, and I believe there should be, I believe we should have legislation that passes through the Commons to trigger what we call Article 50. That is simply the device by which we now leave the European Union. I would vote for that piece of legislation. Now, it goes against everything that I've ever believed in throughout the whole of my political life, but I would do it because I stood on two very clear uh, principles. One was that if there was a vote that went, to get, went against my views as a Remainer, I would respect uh, and honour it. And secondly, when I went out and campaigned, I said to people, if you vote leave, we will leave the EU. So we have to honour the vote that was taken on June the 23rd. So I want to make that absolutely clear. But now then move on to the remainder of the motion. And I would urge you to vote against it. I believe firmly and fiercely uh, in the benefits of staying within the, uh, the single market for reasons which I'm going to explain. But I also want to say this, because I think it's really important. You, all of you that took part in that vote on June the 23rd will remember that there was actually one question on the ballot paper. And that question was, do you want us to stay, remain, or leave the EU? But there were no sub-clauses to that. There were no other questions uh, on the ballot paper about, well, do you want to stay in the single market? Uh, do you want more sovereignty? Uh, do you want fewer immigrants? Uh, do you want to control our borders? It was a simple, straightforward, remain or leave the European Union. And as we know, 52% of those people who voted, uh, voted remain, 48% voted, sorry, voted leave, 52%. If only it had been the other way around, ladies and gentlemen. Sadly, it was not. 52 leave, 48 remain. So it's absolutely critical, as Douglas says, that we don't extrapolate from that vote some other meaning as to Brexit. It's right that we should now debate how and what, on what terms we leave the European Union, but we should be tread very carefully if we try to say that the majority of people that voted voted to control immigration. Because, you see, Douglas's view of leaving the EU is very different, I would suggest, than the leader of, or the acting leader of his party. Because whether Douglas likes it or not, it was Nigel Farage, who you may remember, who stood in front, one of the, one of the darkest days in our nation's politics, who stood in front of a poster of a long line of people fleeing from terror and from war, seeking sanctuary somewhere else. And he said that that's what the EU was all about. Not one of their faces, by the way, was white. He was playing 
playing to the basest of all prejudices, looking at people on the colour of their skin, of their race or their religion, as opposed to addressing the real issues. And he played into that. And it's right and it's true to say that many of those people who voted in the EU referendum didn't vote necessarily to control immigration, they voted actually to reduce immigration. But you see how difficult and dangerous it is if we extrapolate overly as we now seek the very best deal for our nation. So let us also be very clear about this. We do control our borders. You may have been abroad recently. You may have travelled overseas out of our country. And you may remember that when you returned into our country, you had to show your passport. And every year, thousands of people are refused entry into our country. So we do control our borders. And of course, the other thing that we do is we control migration by the fact that overwhelmingly, the majority of people who come to our country come here to work. So, in simple terms, if we don't have jobs, then we don't have the numbers of migrants that we have seen. And we know from the figures that migrants not only come here and they work overwhelmingly, twice as many British-born people, by the way, claim benefit than migrant workers claim benefit. We know, because the figures tell us from the Treasury, that the contribution that migrants make to our country has been calculated at some £2.4 billion. They pay in far more. They contribute far more than they take from us. So I welcome immigrant workers into our country because they come here to work and, I believe, they add to the rich diversity of our country and they have done for centuries and we should celebrate that. So that is the case that I would make for why we should have the free movement of labour and indeed people. It is about work but it's also about that free movement of ideas. So the benefits of the single market, ladies and gentlemen, as we now leave the EU, we would be absolutely mad, in my opinion, if we were to toss away membership of the single market. Our supply chains, like you saw with Nissan, they rely on that free movement of goods so that we can do trade. And without our membership of the single market, we will fall back on tariffs. And that will mean that our, 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 the goods that we make in this country will cost far more in when we sell them into the European Union. And that means, in short, that people won't buy them. And that means that we will not have the strong economy we have. So it's in our financial interests, ladies and gentlemen, not just for my generation, but for our children and our grandchildren, we stay a member of the single market. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, um, Anna. Um, our second speaker for the motion is Patrick Minford. Now, you are Professor of Applied Economics at the Cardiff Business School in Wales, and you are one of the top economists... <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you, audience. You're just a little bit too prompt there. But you were one of the top economists, Patrick, in favour of Brexit, stating that the UK would be better off pursuing free trade deals and controlling its own migrant uh, labour policy. So please do um, argue for the motion. Oh. Now the applause. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> Never had so much applause. Um, <laughs> in my life. Thank you very much, Zenap, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen.
Well, Anna sounded as she was still in the referendum campaign. It was sort of, as Yogi Berra says, it was déjà vu all over again. But um, I'd like to move on from the campaign. We had the Brexit vote, and I think what we want to do is to make it work. And we meant to make it work in the optimal way. And so it seems to me the vote was pretty simply to leave the European Union in order to become a sovereign state. And, you know, it always struck me as a bit absurd that everyone regarded it as ridiculous that we should ever think of becoming a sovereign state. After all, that must be a disastrous thing to be. You know, there aren't so many around the world, are there? Just Japan, the US, and a few others. So, apparently, though, according to Project Fear, this was going to be a terrible disaster and it was a wrong thing to do. But if we want to think, what is the optimal way to become a sovereign state, which I take it to be the object of Brexit, then I think we have to start with the economics and remember that a sovereign state also rules the economy. We're not ruled by another state with its economic ideas about how we should do business. We, we, we rule ourselves. And the economics has always been central in this debate. And what was the economics of leaving the European Union? What was the European Union doing that made so many of us want to leave it? Well, I think there were three things. First of all, it's protectionist. It, it levies huge barriers to trade. Uh, worth about 20% on both food and manufacturing through the so-called customs union and common agricultural policy. Now, everybody, everybody knows that protectionism is bad, and yet this seemed to have escaped the notice of the Remainers. The second thing it did, it had a very intrusive regulative system. Regulating all aspects of our economic and indeed wanting to regulate more of our political life in order to achieve the objects, apparently, of the single market. Very intrusive regulation into our labor laws, into finance, into um, product regulation, of course, with tremendous uh, you know, bonuses for lobbyists, for big business. And, of course, in the area of energy also, highly intrusive, raising the cost of energy. So the, regulation, the regulatory costs of the EU are very serious. And that was an, another big reason. Now, the third big reason concerned control of our borders. Now, people say, you know, there's a lot of talk about how people who want to control borders are apparently racist and so on, according to Anna. But I don't think this is about race at all or anything to do with, you know, intolerance. It's about... It's a theme that goes back a long way in economics, that you have to control your borders if you have a welfare state in order for... People who are unskilled, who can't contribute very much to your economy, gaining a lot of welfare from your welfare state. And actually, we did a calculation that unskilled immigrants from the EU, of whom there are about 1.2 million, of whom about a million are adults, cost the British taxpayer each year 3,500 on average. And that's in the form of welfare benefits uh, and, and things like... Um, you know, uh, the tax credits and so forth, health, health education and uh, housing that are all paid to uh, immigrant dependents. And so what you have is a, is a big third reason. And who paid these bills? It was the poorest people in our country where, where, where unskilled immigrants settled. 
And this was a gross injustice. And of course, it was an important cost to, to, to the people who voted for Brexit. Now, how are we going to achieve Brexit, given that these are the costs? Well, there are two ways to do it. One is to do the so-called soft Brexit, which Anna, Anna Subri favours, which is basically you don't leave the EU, basically. You, you just stick around in the single market with all these things that we, we don't like happening. No control of our, our laws, no control of our unskilled immigration. How can that be what the people wanted? How can it be consistent with the vote? And how can it be optimal, given that we still got all the same costs that we had before, that we didn't want? No, there's only one way to leave the EU to become a sovereign state. You have to leave these institutions. You have to leave the single market. You have to leave the protectionism. And you have to abandon the free immigration, the lack of control. All those things I talked about, you have to repossess yourself of the regulation. That way, you get the optimal way of leaving the EU. You get the gains. And so that's what we've got to do. Now, being inside the single market is totally inconsistent with this. It, we might as well not have left. If you're going to leave, leave. And that means leaving all these things that cause costs, including the single market, the customs union. You have to go to free trade. Now, the last thing I want to say is this. Do we need to do a deal with the European Union se selling into the single market? The answer is no. No country in the world that sells into the single market, including the United States, Japan, and a whole number of others, has a deal with the EU to sell into the single market, other than the ones, the few that they've made trade deals with, which are very few. So all these other countries successfully sell into the single market and they face the tariff. What is a tariff? An awesome 3.5% on average on manufacturing. It's essentially a trivial amount. And also, what does it do? Absolutely nothing. All that happens is indeed a, 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 an American product will be slightly more expensive in the EU, so they might sell a little bit less than they otherwise would, but they'll sell stuff everywhere else. If they don't sell quite, quite as much in the EU, they can switch their products to any market in the world. There's a world market out there in which everybody can sell. And the UK is no exception. We are a small country. We sell in millions of markets around the world. And if the EU puts a little tariff on us, well, we can help. We can help the companies that are a little bit damaged, perfectly easy. We can help the farmers that require help inside the UK when we leave the common agricultural policy. This is trivial amounts and costs to us compared with the enormous gains we make from moving to a free trading world in which we abandon EU protection, we get our own pro-business, popularly mandated regulation, and we control our borders so we're not paying and making poor communities in this country pay for unskilled immigrants of whom we have no control of how many come in and how many dependents they bring with them. Now that is what we should do. So, ladies and gentlemen, the optimal thing is to get rid of this incubus that we've lived with for 40 years that has now become a superstate or wants to become a superstate and wants to control us even more. Take the route of free trade, proper regulation, 
and intelligent control of our borders, and yes, as Douglas Carswell has said, an outward-looking migratory control, a green card system, but one that is intelligent in terms of controlling the costs of welfare of of the people who who enter our country and making sure that they don't batten down on poor people in our country. Thank you very much indeed, Patrick Minford. So now the last of our opening statements and speaking against the motion is Alexander Stubb, who until last year was Prime Minister of Finland. But um, Alexander, you've also had extensive experience across several government departments. Until this summer, you were Minister of Finance and previously you've been Minister of Foreign Affairs and European Affairs and Trade. But you also have a personal connection to the United Kingdom because your wife is British, isn't she? That's right, that's my claim to fame. <laughs> no, in, indeed, my wife is um, English, um, from Solihull, out of all places. <laughs> my mother-in-law and father-in-law are retired teachers, and I love this country so much that I actually like my mother-in-law as well. <laughs> so it is really wonderful uh, to be here. A lot of uh, talk was about mobile phones. There used to be a time when I'd stand here and say, I'll put the start button on my Nokia. But unfortunately, this is just an iPhone. But fortunately enough, it is probably the biggest company on networks right now, so we are all a Nokia network uh, here. Uh, I've been asked to defend uh, the idea that the United Kingdom should still be in the European Union and therefore vote against the motion. My starting point before I make my three points is that I find it almost paradoxical that I have to stand here in probably the most international country in the world to make one of the most difficult arguments for why we as nations should cooperate. This is, after all, the country which, in my mind, has created the recipe of success based on three things. Number one, democracy. Number two, free markets. And number three, globalization. And right now, this country is unfortunately on the verge, probably, to try to reject a few of those theses. Let me make my three points of why we should all vote against the emotion here today. The first one is, I think a soft Brexit is the best way to go about it. And I will do everything in my power to try to make the transition towards Brexit as soft as possible. I think it will take three phases. Phase number one is from the referendum to the initiation of Article 50, whenever that may be. Phase number two is the actual negotiation of approximately 200,000 pages of secondary legislation. It is not going to be very easy to just dismantle 40 years of UK membership in the European Union. And to be quite frank, there's only one precedent for this, and that was Greenland. It took three years for Greenland, and they have 50,000 people and a lot of fish. So it's a completely different ballgame. This will be extremely complicated from a legal perspective. It will be very complicated from a political perspective, and it will be economically complicated as well. Phase number three is what we should start focusing on, and that is the future relationship of the United Kingdom with the European Union. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the 
must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. If we go for a hard and abrupt Brexit, I think we will be pushing the baby out with the bathwater, and that is something we should not do. It will not benefit the United Kingdom, nor will it benefit the rest uh, of the European Union. So my second point is, let's be pragmatic about this. Let's be realistic about this, and let's be civilized about this. I can already now start hearing a lot of language, a lot of acrimonious language from both sides of the channel. And my fear is that those people who voted for Brexit, they will, of course, continue the line they took. But those who voted Remain will just lift their hands up. Okay, if that's the way you want to have it, then just sod it. And I don't think that's to the benefit of anyone. Now, I think Britain, and excuse me for using this term, should get a new deal. And I think this deal should be based on three pillars. Number one, common foreign security policy. There is no European foreign security policy without Britain, nor is it easy for Britain to act without the European Union. Number two, justice and home affairs, because you cannot fight terrorism without the United Kingdom and vice versa. And then number three, to the argument here today, I think the United Kingdom should have as much of an access to the single market as possible. But that access, based on four freedoms, the free movement of goods, services, money and people, will also involve people. So in that sense, you cannot detach these four freedoms. But what you can do is detach some of the flanking policies. If you don't like structural policies, don't be part of it. If you don't like agricultural policy or energy policy or environment policy, don't be a part of it. But stick to the four freedoms. The whole idea that immigration is a bad thing for the United Kingdom, I think is counterfactual. You were the only country in the European Union in 2004 to allow for the free movement of labor from Eastern and Central Europe. And look at the country which has prospered since 2004. It was you. And look at the net contribution of the people who work here. Most of them are net contributors to your social security system. So I think we need a clear deal for the United Kingdom have them as, and have you as close as possible to the European Union. My third and final point is this. I think the British people should be given a second chance in 2019 or 2020. And this is the argument. You will have European elections in 2019. You might have general elections in 2020. The idea of detaching yourself from the European Union is 
probably the most important decision in recent British history. I think there should be a choice between the New Deal, which I call for to be as good as possible through a soft Brexit, and then the second option would be of membership. That is the final choice that the UK has to make because, as has been said here before, we are in a situation whereby people did not know what they voted for. It is very easy to say Brexit means Brexit, but I have not found anyone yet at this stage who can tell me what Brexit actually means. Thank you. So now, before I, should, uh, before I throw this um, open to um, the floor, let me tell you how you, the audience here at the Emanuel Centre, voted at the start of the debate before you heard any of our speakers on our motion. Let, re let me remind you, no backsliding over Brexit. Britain should prioritise controlling its borders over staying in the European single market. For the motion, 20%. Against the motion, 64%. Don't know, 16%. So, Patrick and Douglas, um, by my reckoning, even if you win over all the don't knows, you're still going to be really very far short of winning. But all is not lost. You could sway some of those uh, 64%. I should say, however, that our audience here in London is not representative, of course, of the um, British electorate, because <laughs> London, as we know... Yes, London, apart from two constituencies, um, voted overwhelmingly to remain on the June the 23rd referendum, so no surprise there. Uh, OK, if you give that microphone there. I'll take two or three at a time. One there. OK, one there. I'll come to you shortly. OK, fire away. Um, and a reminder of the millions of people around the world I'd like to remind them the EU is a protectionist customs union and that leaving the EU opens up the opportunities of countries around the world to trade with Britain more easily. Companies in the UK like Tate and Lyle have, have had difficulties trading on issues about cane sugar. Companies, coffee companies around the world in the third world have had difficulties. This could all become easier. So, as has been said by a number of people here, We've already had a vote, so we are talking about post-Brexit, not having another referendum. Okay, fine. And 54.6 people, 54.6 people yep. voted to leave. Sure. Okay. And I'd like to remind Anna that her constituency, which is Broxtow, okay. she, Thank the majority you. Thank you. of her Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The majority of oh, her constituency voted to leave. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll get Anna to respond to uh, that point while we're just... Uh, well, first of all, sir, I don't believe you were at the count in my constituency, but if you had been there, you would have known, that, of course, the declarations were on the basis of local authorities. 
Uh, and so my local authority is considerably larger than my constituency. But I agree. I think on balance, I'm looking at the results around. Probably the majority of people in my constituency voted to leave. But do forgive me, which part of, if there was a vote in Parliament on Article 50 being triggered, I would vote to trigger it, sir. I've okay. accepted the result and I'm honouring it. Let's now move on. Okay. Now let's move on to this other nonsense. Because the reality of where we are at the moment is by being a member of the single market, businesses throughout our country trade freely with up to 500 million customers and many tens of thousands of businesses without tariffs and without any form of other barrier to that trade. And whilst you might want to say, oh, we can do all these other marvellous deals, though apparently we're not going to be doing these deals, my children and my grandchildren, when they come, that generation, they'll be paying the price of us over the years sorting this out whilst British business plummets, just like the pound has plummeted. Because like Nissan, the only reason we kept Nissan is frankly because we made a deal with them so they won't be worse off. Because if we do a hard Brexit, you go to 10% WTO tariffs on cars. That's the reality of a bad hard Brexit. Please keep things brief. Can I take... There was a lady at the front here who wanted the microphone. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to, to do a fact check on the 8% that yeah, just right. sounds very low that we only export 8% into the said, European yeah. Union. OK, so we'll come to that. We'll come to that. We'll, we'll fact, fact check on the 8%. Uh, since you're a professor of economics, I'll ask you, because we hear a lot about who sells what to who and that we know that the EU sells more to Britain than we sell to them. But this 8% figure sounds suspiciously low? Well, it's 12% of our GDP that actually is involved with exporting to the EU. Um, but, you know, there's various figures. 8% of total business is also a figure. So it depends what, you're, what the percentage you're taking of is, if you see what I mean. So I think the point is that uh, what, what we're saying here is that a small proportion of our business is responsible for a massive regulation on the whole economy. That's the point. And so if you think about EU regulation, it, it covers everything in sight, even though our trade with the EU is a modest proportion of our GDP. That's the point. That's the point that you're making. But when it comes to services, for instance, we sell a great deal of services to the EU, much more than they do to us. So it depends. People can play fast and loose with the figures to no, bolster no, their no, arguments. That's, a, that's an absolute accurate figure. You see, 12... It's roughly 12% of our GDP is involved with exporting to the EU. That's it. Let's take a clutch of questions now. Um, Trump has just come into power because he's been against trade deals. Um, He's he's argued that China, the import of cheap Chinese goods has strangulated the economy. And he's got a lot of votes and has now won from being against it and becoming protectionist. But you're now saying that we are going the opposite and we're going for trade deals. So that doesn't correlate with people being really angry and voting for Trump. I'd like okay. to have your answer. Thank you. Patrick Minford. Well, that's yeah. identifying Trump with Brexit. I mean, they're completely different things. The point about the Brexit campaign, 92% of our people who are workers in this country don't work in protected industries. 8% do. And yet, actually, every car constituency voted for Brexit. I'm sorry, can you... Can you, can you, can you where, where do those facts the, come from? Seriously. Well, I... I, 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 I
Let me explain. Let me explain. Quickly, the two, the two, well, you're querying something. It's a fact. No, no, the, the, the shares of the facts. workforce that work in manufacturing and agriculture, which are the two protected areas that the EU protects, is 8% of the popula working population of the labour force. Okay? The other 92% are not protected in any way. They work in service industries that compete in world markets completely. And so the point surely, is this. Surely the well, just, are part just, of the just, just listen to the argument for a moment. There is but no protection. The point that the British people liked about Brexit was that consumer prices would come down by 8% because we'd get rid of 20% protection of food and 20% protection of manufacturing. That would lower the price and that would be the reduction of protectionism, the opposite of Trump. They're saying free movement of services is also... You're saying free movement of services is also critical. I think we've had the Brexit debate, right? People like me lost and now we need to move on. But there was a very dangerous statistic that you used which needs challenging. You said there were over one million um, unskilled immigrants in our country. That is not true. EU because immigrants. Okay. EU immigrants. That is not true because your well, definition of unskilled... Now, I didn't interrupt you, sir, so don't interrupt me. Well, you did, me. actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I anyway. think I... I think I, I, think I tried... one rule for you two, two, and one rule for me. I yeah. think I tried to, but unsuccessfully. Well, that's <laughs> And the point I'm going to make is your definition of unskilled workers includes nurses... Nurses no, are some of the most no, skilled people in no, our country. No. And let us be very, very clear no. on this point about no. migrant workers from the EU. Let's they come here to work, and they work very hard. And the simple question which needs answering is, when you've sent most of them home, as you intend to do, who is going to do the work that these people do, Just whether in our public services or in our private industries? Because in our country, in our, in our country, we almost have full employment. So when we've sent them home, God forbid we don't, who's going to do the okay, work? So very quickly, you talked about 1.2 million unskilled migrants from the EU. Who are they? Yeah. they come, this figure comes from the Labour Force Survey, and it's by, it's by occupation. It's by unskilled occupations that are called unskilled occupations yeah. by the Labour Force Survey. It's got nothing to like do with what, nurses. Like Maybe give an example. Refuse like collectors. Unskilled, yes, or unskilled services. But that's an important service, uh, Unskilled services of various sorts. All right. So okay. this is just a fact. We've got other questions. OK, fine. All right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, very quickly on I, that, Douglas. I, I know that there's been a reference this evening to Donald Trump and, and, and to Brexit, but can I just make the point that Despite all the experts telling us why people voted the way they did in America, if there had been a referendum in America, Hillary Clinton would have won by a majority of about a million. So let's not please you know, compare Brexit and, and Donald Trump's election victory. Oh, I, yeah, okay. I, I think that one of the reasons why there is a rising tide of uh, anti-establishment politics insurgency in the Western world is precisely because there's a feeling that the elite has stolen democracy and the, the demos wants it back. And when I hear Alexander come here and say that we need to vote again, it worries me. Yes. Are we to be made to vote until we give the right answer, according to Alex? Yes. That, that is an outrageous, outrageous <laughs> statement no, the... for a former Prime Minister to make. <laughs> but I think... Certainly so. I think the point the young lady was making was that a lot of people were angry about globalisation and don't feel that they have benefited from 
you know, trade deals that have been struck, which is not the position that you both have, which is you want more open, free but that's trade. that's American people, well, we yeah. the British But anyway, people. I just want to come to Radek Sikorsky, um, who was Foreign Minister of Poland until last year, who I've spotted in the audience there. Um, and just picking up on that particular point there, because... 850,000 polls in the UK, and we've had a lot of complaints from your government and also from the ambassador here in the UK about the rise in xenophobic attacks and comments about the polls in particular. I should say, of course, that you are obviously against this motion, just to put where you, you stand. Yes, maybe. All right, but please do, do make your comment. Thank you. I was myself a refugee in this country. I was very grateful to... Uh, uh, get protection here from martial law in Poland when I needed it. I'm now a migrant worker. And just on a point of fact, if you want to get rid of me, send me back to Poland, you don't need to leave the European Union. It's enough that I, for three months, become a burden on the public exchequer, and you can then do that under the existing treaties. Secondly, I really don't believe... that Britain needs to recover its sovereignty because if you weren't sovereign, you wouldn't have had this referendum. In Poland, we know something about losing sovereignty and it's somewhat um, offensive to hear it in this way. Um, uh, thirdly, uh, I would still like to back the underdog in this debate because much as I agree with Alex that... Um, that this is a, 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 a big experiment that, that Britain is embarking upon. I think the politics of this country are such that they will have to leave both the single market and the customs area. If you are in the single market, you have to be subject to an, a supranational judicial authority, whether it's the European Court of Justice or the EFTA Court. You have to adjudicate disputes somehow. If you want to have an independent trade policy, you have to be outside of the customs area. It's, it's just impossible to have two customs area on the same, uh, uh, two customs policies on the same territory. So they will have to leave. And my proposal would be that Patrick Minford's uh, vision of a freewheeling, free trading Britain should be tested. And perhaps Britain will again be pioneered, just like she was in the 1980s when uh, she reversed the course of history by starting privatization. If your model works, we will be following you. If it doesn't, then in a generation or so, 15, 20 years, then you can have your second referendum and correct what I believe to be your mistake. Thank you very much indeed, Radic. Patrick Minford, could you answer Radic's question? I like the comment about a civilised debate, and I do think we should move on. And I like very much what Mr Sikorsky said, because exactly right. In the 80s, we charted in this country, and that was what improved our economy massively in the following two decades, big reforms of this economy under Mrs Thatcher. We, got, we reduced union power... We brought money supply under control and inflation, and we privatized and did a whole bunch of other things, including Big Bang. And that was what was responsible for our success as an economy. Nothing to do with the EU. By the end of the 80s, the EU was setting out on a very different track. 
And so I, I am very happy. I'm very happy to be judged on what I regard in Brexit as the next stage in our free market movement of reform and supply-side reform. Because what, in fact, what, what the other side forgot to say is there may be a market of 500 million in the EU to whom we will continue to sell, but there's over 6 billion people in the rest of the world who are kept out of the EU by right, EU thanks. protectionism and illiberalism. Radic, did you want to come back to what Patrick said? Anything that you want to come back on? You've uh, got the microphone, if you wish, if not. Well, uh, it, it may be true that a minority of British companies trade with the EU, but it's actually almost half of your trade. Yes, exactly. And, exactly. Uh, no. and what yes, I think is. some politi British politicians are in denial of is that Article 50 was not meant to be a procedure of leaving the EU. Article 50 was meant to be a deterrent. Nobody thought you would be so brave as to actually <laughs> go for it. Sure, yeah, okay. Because, right. because the, 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 the kind of deal that Alex has in mind is impossible to negotiate yes. in two years. Yes, so exactly. in March 2019, Britain will have lost all privileges of membership in the EU, sure. will have lost, lost free trade with the EU, with, with half of your market. Yeah. Th of your um, uh, uh, trading exports. Can I, can I Think about the implications. Who's got the microphone here? Yep, go ahead. Um, it's to Alex. Can I remind you that David Cameron actually went to the EU, tried to get a deal, came back with nothing. Then we had the referendum. Can I also say something that having, as hopefully it will all go through in Article 50 and will leave, it's exciting times ahead for us. We're part of the Commonwealth. Africa has um, the fastest growing middle class. It's growing at 20%. And I think we can do a lot more deals with the Commonwealth than we've had our, our hands tied. I should just say Article 50, of course, is what the UK has to trigger it in order to begin the process to leave the European Union. What about more migrants from the Commonwealth rather than the European Union then? Because, of course, Britain has got huge ties with Commonwealth countries. Well, well, somebody asked how we control our borders, and that's the whole point of immigration policy, is to have a sort of green card system which is driven by skill and work, and not to allow in people who will be big welfare recipients uh, through their dependents. And that's the no, point, really. Not. That's well, not I'm afraid true. they are, Anna, because you, you, you need to look at the, you need to look at the Labour Force survey. Twice as told many you already. British born people. So please just keep quiet So what is it you would change, <laughs> though? The question, the question was, what would you change in controlling our borders? Well, what I would change would be the control of unskilled immigrants. That's the point. That's where, that's where a civilised country has to have control because skilled immigrants pay their way and that always was confused by the Remain camp they said immigration, you know, is great, which, of course, on average, it is. So you like Sorry, a point is, system, for instance? Exactly. The, it's about the control of unskilled okay. entrance the, into our welfare system. And that is very old 
point in right. economics, Let's going back to respond. Milton Friedman well, okay. and Gary Becker, well, the, the who government... always pointed this out. So, the... you know, you just okay. need to catch up with it, Anna, but the because government has like said... you do with so many no, things. But, but <laughs> Professor Minford, the government has said it doesn't, so... support, it doesn't support a point system, which is generally so... used by countries... No, I didn't say countries... a point Well, you said well, a point system. Well, no, I said, said a green yes. card okay. system. Right. I so said a system that controls unskilled immigrants. So who is going to clean the lavatories, then? in our hospitals? Who is going to pick the fruit and the vegetables in the fields of this country? Because I still want to know what the definition of unskilled is. Okay. There are hardly any unskilled jobs now well, in our country. And I can tell you for a I'll fact... I can tell you for a fact... <laughs> in the town of Boston, where there is about 11 to 15% of EU migrants working in the fields, as they've done for decades, okay. if not centuries, unemployment there is about sure. 9%. Who is but going to do these jobs when you send them all home? And I will Very tell quickly. you, I will tell yeah. you the answer in two words. You have a deal with migrants whereby they don't bring independence, which is what we costs the welfare. We That's what costs the welfare. So if you give people unlimited rights to bring all their family to this country, you create this welfare bill. If, on the other hand, you have a system of unskilled workers picking the fields who come Excuse and pick me. the fields and then go home, you come to Boston. that is fine. You come now, to so, Boston. Well, Anna, so, okay. if you just Boston, unplug your ears for about two no, no, minutes... No, 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 she has. Don't, well, don't, don't be dismissive of an argument well, that she is she making. Well, she hasn't answered which the question. Has a lot, she hasn't she answered said, the question. I've so explained her what the question. answer is, and she's not listening you to it. You said workers come in, clean the lavatories, pick the fruit in the berries, but don't Who's bring your families. Yes. They don't that's bring what their families. That's the point. And so, that's, that's the system that works. 50% of people in Boston, especially Polish people in Boston, are fit young men. They, are, they take very little out of our society, but they contribute because they work, they pay their taxes, and they do the jobs that we don't have people able to do those jobs, and we almost have full employment. Okay. We need migrant workers, and we should welcome and value them. The core of the matter here is for all of us is the free movement of people and then the single market. That was the motion that we were supposed to address. And I agree with the young gentleman. We have not yet been able to prove what is wrong with free movement. And that is because we keep on mixing two things. We talk about uncontrolled immigration or even asylum seekers on one hand and then either skilled or unskilled labour belonging to the European Union on the other hand. That's one issue that needs to be addressed. And I simply don't see the evidence what has gone wrong with that. The second issue that we need to deal with, what is so bad with the biggest internal market in the history of the world? The United Kingdom was attributed to great success from the 1980s. Well, you see what happened in the 1980s. That is when the single market was actually founded, and that is one of the foundations of why this is one of the let's, greatest countries in the world. Let's get some more Facts. points from the floor. <clears throat> Thank briefly. you very much. I would just like to ask Anna Sultry. You mentioned a rise in hate crime. Now, everyone in this hall and everyone on the panel is disagreeing with each other, but I'm perfectly certain that we all agree that we bitterly regret it. But I don't see the relevance of that to this debate either. Because are you saying that if we stay in the single market, the hate crime will go back in the bottle? Don't you think it's because your previous Prime Minister called a referendum? That's what's risen the hate crime. 
You can't change it now. Okay, thank you. Let's, um, a panel, just a very quick point on the rise in hate attacks, xenophobic attacks within this debate. There was a point from the left there. I mean, clearly it's, it's outrageous and appalling that people are in, in, involved in that sort of thing, and it's a, a very good thing that the police uh, take it very, very seriously. Um, but, you know, um, the, uh, the, the future of this country is uh, going to depend on increased social cohesion, and um, it, it's imperative on all of us, including some of us on the panel, not to project onto our honest, uh, legitimate opponents mm. the worst sort of motives, because we don't like that they have come to a different conclusion to us. But the question was the referendum. Do you feel the referendum unleashed yes. that kind of, you know, rhetoric? You're inviting me to say that... No, I, I'm just asking refer- to answer no, the I, question I, that the gentleman had, had I, put. I, I, Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? I, well, well the evidence is there, isn't it, that there's been an increase of about 41%, my, according to yeah, the my, Home my Office, chief, on, on um, xenophobic attacks. My, my but, chief, I met my chief constable in Nottinghamshire, and she was very clear. A rise... This, just at this moment, 18% higher than this time last year. And she said, this is the words of the Chief Constable, who is not political and has no views on Mexico. She said that there was a direct correlation between the rhetoric and the language used in the EU referendum debate no, that was continuing in a right. county like mine. Okay, well, thanks. We the question. Everybody yeah. agrees it's undesirable. I think we've run out of time. I don't, know, I don't know if you've all seen a picture of about 80 front pages of British tabloid newspapers talking about immigration. And this is one of the big problems. If you keep on bashing for long enough, whether it's anti-Europe or pro-Europe, whether it's anti-immigration or pro-immigration, at the end of the day, you start believing it. That's why I come back to the point that I think think this is the most civilized country in the world, but you do have a very uncivilized yellow press, and that has been a lot of the cause of the debate. So, got to the end of uh, the debate. Before I announce the final vote to see which side has won the most votes, let me remind you, the audience, how you were thinking before the debate started. So, the pre-debate result for the motion, 20%. Oh, I remind you of the motion. No backsliding on Brexit. Britain should prioritise controlling its borders over staying in the European single market. The pre-debate results, again, for the motion, 20%. Against, 64%. Don't know, 16%. And now the final result after the debate for the motion, 39%. You've gone up. Against 59%, you've gone down by 5 percentage points. The don't knows are down to 2%, so that was a swing of minus 12%. So, in a sense, congratulations to this side against the motion because you maintained your lead, but also congratulations to you because uh, you got quite a lot of votes. You managed to influence some thoughts. So it's been... It's been a lively debate. I hope we've thrown heat as well as light on a very, very difficult issue. Thank you to all our panel, to you, the audience here at Emmanuel Centre, to Intelligence Squared. From me, Zain Abadar, in the Emmanuel Centre in London, goodbye. Thank you for listening. You can download more Intelligence Squared podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at intelligencesquared.com 
and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.